DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SOS for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SOS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. What's up, sons and daughters? It's Sam Jesse. I'm back with the full crew from Maloxa Saturday. Brett, Mike, Ed, Chris. Guys, welcome back. We are in week seven. We're almost at the halfway point of the college football season. How are we feeling? I'm here too, by the way. This is Robert. Hello. Sam didn't say my name. I, d- I didn't say your name. No, it's fine, but I, I get it. I-, I leave the country. I go on vacation. You're jealous. I get it. It's fine, <laughs> Sam. Well, you're, you're not as jealous. You're not as jealous as this UConn jersey I'm wearing. Come on now. God, I wish I wish you guys could see this beautiful jersey that Brad has on his body right now. I'll put it on Twitter. It's a nice, oh, yeah. nice. Sorry, I mean they have a nice logo. Good. I really thought they were going to have it last week against UMass, but uh, some COVID issues, some injury issues, and they just didn't come out to play. Oh, I was going to no. say, maybe I should just skip the podcast more often because I skipped the podcast. I went 5-0 and o against the spread. So maybe that's just <laughs> a new recipe for me. Yep. Congratulations, Mike. Our first 5 and a week against the spread. And I'll tell you what, last week, everyone did pretty well. And if we look at the standings for this year, Brett is at an impressive 18-12 and 12 against the spread. He is sitting in first place, but right behind him is Robert, who is at 17-13, and 13, and yours truly, who is also at 17 and 13. Mike, because of that good week, you're back up around 500. You're at 14 and 16. Chris and Ed still kind of in the bottom. Chris at 12 and 18 and Ed at 11 and 19. But there's a lot of season left to play. A lot of season left. No thoughts. We're battling Chris. back. We're battling back. You're and battling back. back. I was one disaster ending of the Texas OU Red River rivalry from going four and one last week. So um, my complete ire is directed towards not just Texas, but the entire state of Texas. So I hate all of you. Just, just throwing it out there. That was the best cover I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Points any, down, boys. Any down. Oklahoma better was 99.9% dead when they had the ball with six seconds to go. Dead. Even if it goes to overtime, you're dead. And they still somehow did it. Well, I mean, there's no somehow Texas literally just, I guess, didn't want to play defense. Then they didn't want to play defense. I think they thought they were being smart by like, hey, let's not tackle them. Let's make them kind of sit up and waste time. And then he just ran right oh, by. Them. Yeah, he just went right in. Well, that was That's a neutral cool. site game, but in home games. So games played on a college campus as they should be in play. We've covered 25 of those so far this season. And the home team is 17 and eight against the spread in those games that we have picked. So a trend that is continuing to the midpoint here of the 2021 season is that home teams have been significantly better against the spread than away teams. So something to think about as we get into the games today. As always, thank you so much for your interactions on Twitter. We love it. It makes it so much fun. Numbers keep going up week after week. It's awesome. We're so, so, so thankful. It's It's been a fun time. If you want to have some legit fun banter 
about your card for this weekend, hit any of us up on Twitter and then hit up our main account at Locks of Saturday or even our parent account at Sons of Sat VT. All right, guys, you ready? Let's get into it. Game day is headed back to Athens, Georgia for the 330 CBS game between the visiting Kentucky Wildcats, who are 23 and a half point dogs to the Bulldogs of Georgia. Again, this game, 330 on CBS. The over-under is set at 44 and a half. Brett, you are a leader in the clubhouse, so you get to pick first. How are you feeling about this game? You know, this line is just, I mean, it's huge, and it deserves to be huge. I mean, Georgia, I mean, they've just destroyed everybody. Their defense is ridiculous. Their offense has somewhat come to life. They have young receivers that are talented. Um, Kentucky's defense is okay. Uh, their offense, Will Levis has kind of come alive in the last couple of weeks after, I guess, his mayonnaise and coffee and rotten banana with peel banana diet. I guess that's helped him. I don't know what that freaks about, but he's actually looked pretty good the last few weeks. But uh, I think if this game's at Kentucky, um, I think the line probably is a little lower, and I might would take the points there at home because they've been pretty dominant at home this year. Um, but the fact that this is at Georgia, um, it, it's going to be pretty impossible for me to go against Georgia here last week. That was my lock of the week. I should have done it against Arkansas and I didn't. And I'm just going to go with it again. Usually I'm not in the business of betting against Nick Saban, as Ed would say, but I'm not in the business of betting against this Georgia team this year. So I'm going Georgia uh, at home. I'm right there with you. I really want to take Kentucky in this one. Vegas is baiting you. They're baiting you. They're baiting you guys. They're, they're in two different leagues. They're simply in two different leagues. And Kentucky is a team where they have been a better and better program under Mark Stoops over the past you know, decade almost now. But they haven't been very good when they've gotten the opportunity to play the big boys. Under Mark Stoops, so since 2013, Kentucky is 0-12 straight up against top 10 teams. So throw out any idea you have of Kentucky possibly pulling an upset in this game. They're losing those games by an average of, you guessed it, 23 and a half points per game. Now, last year, they did lose by 60, a 60 lobster to Alabama. If we take that out, they're still losing by 20.2 points per game. It's They're not stacking up when they play Georgia, Florida, Alabama, LSU, at prime LSU, etc. They're not doing that. Georgia has scored 30 plus and five straight, and they've held opponents under 30 and 10 straight. And Kentucky's two and six against the spread. In their last eight against Georgia, it's not looking good. Dogs at home, probably by four touchdowns, I would say, is um, what I would expect for this game. I'd expect something like, you know, 42 14 um, might be a bit more realistic. So, is the rule just like you just pick Georgia until you're wrong? I mean, and maybe it should be. I that's, don't know. That's the trend. Yes. Is the answer to that. Okay, great. Because that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, and, and Vegas is just, I feel like they're just begging people to to bet against Georgia. Like, finally bet against Georgia. Like, they just keep getting just wrecked by people throwing money at Georgia in these enormous spreads that they throw out there. So, they just keep throwing bigger spreads out there. People keep betting Georgia and Georgia keeps delivering. So, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let Vegas bait me into betting against the best team in the country. 
And I, I just don't quite buy into Kentucky's undefeated season. Um, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, Kentucky's strength of schedule, uh, which the FPI's strength of schedule is only games that they have played so far as opposed to um, their entire schedule. So Kentucky's strength of schedule in the games that they've played so far is 72nd in the FBS, which is the easiest schedule in the SEC. So compared to other teams um, in the SEC, their, their competition hasn't quite been up to snuff. Um, what Kentucky does well is they run the ball, they average uh, 212.7 rush yards per game. But like I said, with that schedule, they haven't really faced that many good run defenses. The highest grade rush defense by Pro Football Focus that they faced is Florida, but Florida is still only 49th, um, according to PFF's um, team grades. And that's decent, but it's not great. Meanwhile, Georgia's rush defense is tied for second highest graded in the country. Uh, So that's a pretty stark contrast. Um, Georgia just suffocates teams with their pro caliber front seven. I mean, all seven of those guys might make it to the league. And I, I just think that this will cause Kentucky to rely heavily on Will Levis, the quarterback. Um because they they just will have to because they just won't be able to run the ball. And he hasn't really been a world beater. He's only averaging 189 passing yards a game. Um, his passer grade is 56th, according to PFF, among power, or, uh, FBS quarterbacks. And that again, that's decent, but it's really not great. Um, his grade is actually only 0.1 points less than K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas and only 1.2 points more than Bo Nix from Auburn. And I think we saw what Georgia did to both of those quarterbacks. Um, I, I, I think this could actually be another shutout for Georgia's defense. Um, and I guess maybe the only question is, um, can they score enough to cover this enormous spread? Um, but so far that they've done that, and maybe that's the Stetson Bennett thing, is that he lords you in just to... Uh, pull the rug out from under you just when you think he's good but regardless i do think georgia gets it done whether it's bennett or daniels out there at quarterback and i think they cover the spread yeah i'm on georgia too i mean i made the mistake of betting against georgia between the hedges a couple weeks ago that didn't work out for me uh with that arkansas game and you know what georgia did to auburn i mean I, i look at that game and with minimal effort they won that game by 24 points I mean, Georgia was chilling in that game and won easily by three and a half touchdowns. So the question is, you know, how much do you trust Kentucky relative to Auburn? I mean, Auburn was at home and lost by three and a half touchdowns. You got Georgia now at home in this game against Kentucky, Kentucky going on the road. You know, Kentucky put up an impressive rushing effort against LSU in a three touchdown victory last Saturday, but I just don't see... Kentucky being able to run the football on Georgia, maybe at all. And I don't trust Will Levis throwing against Georgia either. Uh, Irby, I'm with you, man. Like, I, I think that there's potential here for Kentucky to have trouble scoring points, like period, <laughs> like more than like seven to 10 points, I think would be, it could be realistic. And I think Georgia gets into, into the thirties. And I think you could see a very similar score. I mean, 34 to 10 would cover if Georgia did that again and they're at home. So I I think there's, you know, 
more meat on that bone, so to speak. So I'm on Georgia here. I I can't bet against them right now with the way they're playing. All right. Well, let's continue the the trend here. So I'm also on Georgia. You can go back and listen to last week's episode. And I kind of laid out a pretty convincing case of what I think Georgia is this year, which is one of those truly historical kind of special defenses that you only see maybe once every decade or so. Uh, last one that we all saw was 2011 Alabama. Uh, they're on par with that. And because of that, and specifically their run defense versus pretty much what Kentucky does best is run the ball. Um, we saw similar results with Arkansas and Auburn. They're all, and with Kentucky in there as well, they're all top 20 rated run offenses. And uh, Arkansas and Auburn put up a combined 10 points. Um, if you're going to beat Georgia at home, at 3.30 on a CBS game, that's that, that's typically not the best place to do it. That's probably the most comfortable environment they're going to be in, and they'll continue to be in that environment as long as they're one of the best teams in the SEC. So I just don't see this happening. Um, give me the Bulldogs, 23 and a half. Not going to lock it up, but I'm very close to, to pulling uh, the trigger on that one. But it's very, very tempting. They just beat, excuse me, Kentucky just beat LSU and Florida in back-to-back weeks, and the line still ballooned to 23 and a half. As you all said, Vegas is begging us to take Kentucky and just don't take the bait. Yeah, looking at this number is super weird because it's an undefeated team against another undefeated team and the talent gap is just so wide. Um, I'm having a hard time believing that a Georgia team can just keep doing this over and over and over again, but until they don't, uh, I can't pick against them anymore, so I'm going to go with Georgia here as well. you guys covered everything spot on. So the dogs cover, that's just such a big number for a, for an SEC team or an SEC game of unbeaten. Um, but it, it makes sense. Georgia's really good. It does feel a bit anti anticlimactic for, you know, the SEC game of the week to just be a beat down again, but that's kind of It does feel a bit anticlimactic for the SEC game of the week to be just a beatdown again, but that's kind of where we are with the SEC right now. Where you know Georgia, and I won't say Alabama because they just lost, but for the most part, Georgia and Alabama are just so much better than everybody else. It's kind of tough to find those really great matchups anymore because the middle of the conference isn't quite up to snuff. Well, let's go to a conference where none of it is up to snuff at all, even remotely, except maybe the NC State Wolfpack. This is an NC State podcast, like we said, um, except for Ed. Ed's not allowed to root for NC State. NC State is minus three traveling up to Chestnut Hill to play Boston College in what is a pretty big game in the ACC Atlantic. If NC State wins this game, it goes to 2-0, and they kind of take control of that division with uh, Wake Forest, Wake Forest, who has kind of, you know, stumbled their way to a still undefeated record here. This game will be at 7.30 on ACC Network, and the over-under is at 52. Uh, NC State, can they keep the ball rolling? Uh, Quick note about this game, actually, both teams are coming off bye weeks, so it's a pretty rare thing that you're seeing there where both teams have had two weeks to prepare. Yeah. This is a tough one. This I think these are two extremely similar teams. They're both averaging pretty much similar uh, total yards per game, like around 350, 
370-ish. So it's they're pretty similar uh, teams. I think they both have solid offenses, with, and, but I think NC State has the better defense, in my opinion. I think that's what's going to put them over the edge. I don't think playing in Alumni Stadium at night really does anything for Boston College. I I just don't I don't see how that's an advantage up there. Um, I know Halfley saying that the students are making a big difference. Nah, I'm not buying that. So even though they played uh, Clemson really tough, um, NC State also played Clemson really tough, and we obviously saw how they won the game. Uh, so these teams are, I think, are really similar. This is going to be one of the better games of the ACC this year, especially in the coast, like you said, Sam. It's going to this is a deciding game for the coastal. But uh, I'm on the Wolfpack here, not because this is a Wolfpack podcast. I really think NC State's actually the better team. They have the better defense. They have the uh, I think they have better athletes than Boston College does, and I think overall they're going to get it done. Um, just a couple stats for you: North Carolina State's five and two against the spread, but Boston College is four and one. So it's kind of interesting. But here's North Carolina State is one five and one against the spread in their last seven against Boston College. That's uh, it's pretty scary when you want to bet NC State, but I'm still going with the Wolfpack here. They're going to get it done up in Chestnut Hill. I'm not scared of Boston College at home, even at night, even if they're throwing stuff on the scoreboard to distract a kicker like they did to Virginia Tech like eight years ago. So, But I'm still on the Wolfpack here. Yeah, I don't think anyone's calling Chestnut Hill a hostile environment. And you know, one thing about this NC State team is they were projected to be really good defensively. They've had some injury issues, and they've still been really good defensively. They're number nine in the country in points per drive, only allowing 1.32 points per drive. That's something that I think Boston College might really struggle with because if you look at the teams they play, you know, like Missouri, and then they just got like, I don't know, Colgate and teams like that. They've been able to kind of stat pad against bad defenses. And I think this is really one of the first elite defenses that Boston College is going to play. We saw them play Clemson and their offense really, really struggled. Only put up like 13 points in that game. I think a real big key for this is first and second down. Again, not allowing a good defense to get to third down. That's when good defenses thrive. Boston College, and I'll I'll use this type of stat actually throughout the night because I found it really interesting kind of with this many data points so far in the season. Boston College is 98th in the country on getting a first down on first or second down. They only do that uh, 73, excuse me, uh, 91st in that. And they only do that 65% of the time on offense. On defense, they're number 98, uh, allowing a first down on first or second down 73% of the time. So looking at a team in Boston College, it's just they don't, they go to third down a lot on offense and they don't get teams to go there a lot on defense. And I think that's something where North Carolina State can really dominate this game and kind of take control because once they get Boston College into a third or fourth down scenario, which they are in 35% of the time, NC State is the number one third or fourth down defense in the country, only allowing 23.5% conversion rate on that. So I think that's where NC State just kind of takes control of this game. That's where NC State, more talent, more speed, they're going to dominate on third and fourth down because Boston College is actually a team that goes for it a fair amount on fourth down. And I think that allows NC State to kind of cover the spread. I think the game will be relatively close, but I think NC State will have enough control to probably win this by a score or two at the end of the day. 
You know, this is a game that I really, I really went back and forth on. Uh, I mean, you look at both of these teams, they're both very much so exceeding expectations. Um, I mean, if you looked at my Atlantic uh, over-under predictions, you know, I expected this, but, you know, maybe the country didn't. I don't know. Uh, they're both 4-1, and one, and then they're also both coming off of bye weeks. So, I mean, these teams are, um, I mean, we're really set up for a pretty good showdown here. These have also quietly been two of the best defenses in the ACC so far. Um, both teams are top five in the conference in both scoring defense and total defense. Um, so the under, the over-under set at 52, the under is very much in play here. Uh, and that might be the bet that I feel more confident in than picking the spread here on this one. Um, but trying to figure this game out, I looked at the coaches' records after bye weeks. Um, and then I remembered, of course, that Jeff Halfley is only in his second season and he's only had, you know, a handful of bye weeks at Boston College. And let's just take a moment and appreciate just how good Boston College is and how crazy it is that they are this good with Jeff Halfley still only being in his second season. It's truly remarkable. Um, he's one of the best young coaches in college football. But at least for Dave Dorn, who has been at NC State since 2013, um, you can look at his bye week uh, records and you can see that they're not as good. He is 5-5 five and five after buys so far at NC State. And that's not bad, but it's not really good either. Um, this just kind of seems like the game, the kind of game that Dave Dorn tends to lose. And maybe that NC State tends to lose. They're kind of like Virginia Tech in the sense of once they get some notoriety, that's when they start to uh, lose the games that they shouldn't lose. And NC State is number 23 right now, and they have a chance to beat a tough interdivision opponent on the road and go to 5-1. and one. I mean, that would bring them to a top 20 status. But this is the kind of game that NC State loses. It just is. And I don't know if they will lose, but they look pretty vulnerable against Louisiana Tech, and they might be due for a letdown after that Clemson win. Again, I'm not really sure who's going to win this game. So uh, for the sake of picking the spread, I'm just going to take Boston College in the points at home. Being a three-point underdog, I'll just take the home team. NC State, and this is a lock for me. (laughs) All right, point in case. I uh, take that, is, Robert. <laughs> I, was I mean, say. I'll see you guys later. This was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounded sounded like I was really striking Irby down there, and I usually agree with him. I the way I look at this game, it's just we got to trust Janice Grossell in a big spot, and I just don't see it. I, I really don't see it. Uh, this is an NC State offense that I think under Devin Leary has been largely good. I think in a situation where this game gets a little bit higher scoring, I'm not sure Boston College is going to be able to keep up. Uh, I believe in the NC State defense. I think NC State's defense is is better than Boston College's. I also think NC State's offense is more consistent. And I think if you get into a game that gets a little pointsy, I think NC State with with Devin Leary taking care of the football, I think I just think they have more balance. You know, uh, Boston College. 
you know, they've had their moments running the football with Pat Garbo the third, uh, and they've had their moments throwing the football with Dennis Grosell since he's taken over from Phil Dracovic. But I just think there's more consistency with NC State. I think Dave Doran will have his guys ready to go on the road to Chestnut Hill and win this game. And I'm not too worried about this being a, being a road night game either. Uh, I, I don't know. Is this the red bandana game? Do you guys know? Or is that, if it's not, I don't really care. I, I, no, that would be the Virginia Tech game. Okay, of, co- of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> um, so that that takes away that element. So yeah, I'm on I'm on NC State here. I think they win this game by seven to ten points. All right, I'm going to roll with Mike, even though I won't just strike Irby's entire well laid out, thoughtful uh, uh, approach to Boston College. Uh, I'll, I'll be a little softer, a little gentler. Um, I just, I kind of had to do some math in my head on this one. And uh, we're at the point where you can start finding common opponents. I really looked at Clemson as the common opponent. And um, I thought it was interesting. Like what is actually the more kind of, uh, I don't know, um, outlier in terms of what should be worse was the fact that Massachusetts scored 28 on them or Clemson scored 19 considering both offenses are atrocious right now. And I just think that Boston college's production this point in this, uh, assuming to date has been pretty soft. I think they threw a lot of people off the scent with their performance against Missouri. They had this kind of like tight game they're going into the matchup and then it looked like they were going to blow them out of the water it was a little bit more of a dynamic back and forth towards the end but uh, i think that that was the last time that people really got like a real good look at boston college and then they do what they normally do they kind of hide away in chestnut hill no one pays attention to them they have a 4-1 record and it's like oh boston college is good again um i do feel jeff halfley kind of has them on the right trajectory but robbie hit the nail on the head it's only year two for them they just don't have the talent they lost their quarterback who essentially was what I would consider to be probably now they're looking at it. He, he probably would have been like a top three quarterback in the ACC, uh, just looking at the rest of the cast out there. Um, but give me the more stability across the entire team. Uh, that is NC state in this game. Uh, last time I checked, uh, Boston college fans don't have a, uh, enormous amount of cowbells that they can ring all games. So it's not going to be like the game at Mississippi state where it's more of like a, a, a raucous environment for them to play. in. so, um, I expect NC State to go up on a game that probably very little people will be in attendance at. Let's all be honest on that one. And it's on ACC Network at 7.30. Um, so probably very little people will actually be watching it as well, which is perfect for NC State to perform well because it's a game that no one's really paying attention to, which is even sadder because this is supposed to be a marquee ACC Atlantic matchup. And to be honest, shrug your shoulders, who cares? Uh, but uh, as Sam originally said, this is an NC State podcast. I was originally aligned with them as a team in terms of one of my dark horse kind of Atlantic picks. Uh, and I just kind of have to continue down that until they prove otherwise, which I'm not buying in that M- to me that Mississippi State loss as an indictment against them. So I'll stop there and then I'll wait for Ed to go to the contrary here, uh, kind of like Mike shot uh, Irby down. So Ed. I, on the other hand, am obligated to pick against NC State at every turn. So uh, I'm going to go Boston College here. Um, I'll go with the home team. I do have serious and, you know, same hesitations as everybody else without Djokovic. Um, very concerning for Boston College, but uh, they played well against Clemson, um, coming off of a bye at home. And I think um, Halfley is the better coach of the two in this game. Um, and I think that will continue to play out in the years to come as well. So 
I'm going to go with Boston College at home with a better coach, and I continue to root against NC State for a reason that I'm not really sure, but we're just going to keep rolling with it. Stick to your guns, man. It'll work eventually. It'll work. And also, it would be. We'll, we'll talk about when we get to the Virginia Tech pit game about, like, oh, it'd be very NC State to go up to Boston College and lose this game and not be in the conversation for the ACC Atlantic at the end of the season. It would be very NC State. But, uh, yeah, let's move on to two teams that will not be competing for their division titles, but still top 25 matchup. Uh, well, is it top 25? I'm not sure if Tennessee got ranked in the top 25. Regardless, a good matchup in the SEC. The Mississippi Rebels, Rebels are taking their high-powered Lane Kiffin offense to Neyland Stadium to play Hendon Hooker, Hendo Cinco, and the Tennessee Volunteers high-powered offense. This game has an over-under of 81 on the DraftKings Sportsbook. 81 which isn't crazy because Ole Miss just played a game that broke the 100 mark. The game will be on SEC Network at 7.30 p.m. Like I said, the over-under is 81. Every person on here has to tell me really quickly over-under at the end of their pick. But man, oh man, I mean, Brett, how do you even go about, like, take me through your logic of how you even approach a game where you know that there's going to be a billion points scored. I mean, pretty simple. You have the best quarterback in the country right now, Matt Corral, that literally throws the ball like 90 times a game, and he completes like 85 of them. I mean, it's ridiculous what they're doing. Tennessee's defense is not good. So Ole Miss might put up 81 themselves, honestly. But the thing is, Ole Miss's defense is also really bad. And our good friend, Hendo Cinco, is putting up the best numbers probably right behind Matt Corral in the SEC. So it's going to be a shootout. I mean, this is going to be a fun game to watch. I'm going to be make sure I'm watching this if I'm home in time after the Pittsburgh game. Um, this will be this will be just absolute fireworks. I have no question about it. This is uh, Ole Miss is walking into a tough, tough atmosphere at Neyland Stadium. I think Tennessee Heupel finally got the fans – Give them some hope, got them turned around. Tennessee's kind of like Virginia Tech. You know, the fans have been supportive. They're, 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 you know, they're ravishing fans. They want to get back to where they were. They're supporting, but they're just not getting the product on the field. This is one of those games where they walk in, you know, Ole Miss walks in and they could get, you know, they could get upset here. But, however, um, they're just too hot right now. They, they beat an Arkansas team last week, even though it came out of a two point conversion. I mean, they looked really freaking good against Arkansas, who I think actually, has a pretty decent defense. They still shredded them. So I'm going Ole Miss here, minus three, even at the Nealon Stadium. Tennessee obviously has looked drastically better in the last few weeks. Hendon Hooker, I mean, hats off to the guy. Happy for him. He's just absolutely shredded the last few teams he's played. I think he's got like a – what's his QB rating? It's like 180-something. It's like something ridiculous. It's number one in the SEC. and Yeah. This is it's really, something, it's yeah, something I mean, ridiculous. But yeah. I'm going Ole Miss minus three, and I mean, what's I mean, what's the fun in not betting the over on 81 points? So I'm going to bet the over. Yeah, I I think you summed it up really well too. This is a game of Ole Miss is all 
Ole Miss's passing offense and Tennessee's passing defense versus Tennessee's rushing game and Mississippi's rushing defense. Uh, Mississippi is number two in the nation in EPA per pass, while Tennessee's defense is number 92 in defensive EPA per pass. On the other hand, Tennessee is the number seven EPA per rush team in the country, while the Ole Miss defense is number 124 in defensive EPA rushing. Something's got to give. I mean, I think you might see a ton of points. You talked about Matt Corral throwing it. Ole Miss has actually ran the ball very, very well this year. I feel like these three-point hooks, this is basically a pick'em, right? Vegas is telling you these teams are even. We feel like this is a pick'em. And we're giving three points to Ole Miss because I don't know. Like this feels much, much closer than that three. However, I feel like it's a bit of a trap to take Tennessee here as a home dog. I feel like it's a bit of a trap. They haven't really played anybody good. I mean, South Carolina is bad. Hedden Hooker has been playing very well, but his wide receivers are wide open the entire game. Missouri is bad. I mean, neither Missouri or USC East will make a bowl this year. So those are really our two data points. They lost to Pittsburgh. uh, And then they've just played like, you know, you know, Tennessee state and someone like that. Like I really in Bowling green as well. I, I really don't think Tennessee has been battle tested enough. Whereas Ole Miss has been battle tested. They've played Bama. They've played Arkansas. They know what it's like to play in these bigger time games. I like taking that. It hurts to take, to take the road team in a stadium of a hundred thousand plus, And they're going to do the checker thing that they always do once a year. But I really do think Ole Miss is a a solid football team in terms of win-loss record. I doubted them at the beginning of the season, and that was wrong. Ole Miss wins this one in a close high-scoring game. I think you're gonna I think we're gonna see something like 48-45 Ole Miss. Maybe 48-41, something uh, like that. I I, I think it's gonna they they're gonna barely cover this game, but I, I think I like them covering more than I like Tennessee covering. I'm thinking Baylor West Virginia vibes. When when I was like 20, what was that 20? Uh, was RG three and it was like 72 to 62 or something. It was um, that was RG three and Geno Smith, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Geno Smith. But I don't believe Seattle Seahawks starting quarterback Geno Smith. I don't believe it was RG three though. Maybe it wasn't. But anyway, I'll say one last thing. I want I forgot to say if Kenny Pickett, who obviously is having an incredible year. But if Kenny Two Gloves can shred the Tennessee defense, I have no doubt in my mind Matt Corral will do double of what Kenny Pickett did. I'll leave it at that. Oh, we'll get to Kenny Pickett. Don't you worry. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Is your popcorn ready? Because my popcorn is ready. And in fact, the sound that you are now hearing in stunning 4K quality is me physically eating popcorn. White cheddar, delicious, because I am all in on the Rebels this week. I know the Hindo Cinco thing has guys fired up, and understandably so. Um, Hendon's playing really well, but I, I just think it's too early. Um, I, I think it's pretty unlikely for a first-year coach like Heupel to, to face a top-15 opponent in Ole Miss, especially a one that an offense that's firing on all cylinders like Ole Miss is, 
And to expect to win that game, that just seems uh, improbable. I think, I don't know. I think Hooker will keep them in the game as well. Their rushing attack, but I just don't see it happening. And on that note, so Tennessee is extremely run centric. They average, this is crazy. I had to calculate this multiple times to make sure I wasn't doing this wrong. They average 48 rushing attempts a game. They run the ball 48 times a game so far. They've run the ball 289 times in six games. That's crazy. And Ole Miss, on the other hand, really likes to jump on teams early. Um, That's where they really find their success is by Matt Corral throws a couple touchdowns and they're up 14-0 before you can blink. Um, And he's making his Heisman slash NFL draft case. He's balling out. And when he gets a chance to make a statement early on, he does, as does the Ole Miss offense, the exception being, of course, the Alabama game. And in that game, Bama kept the game lower scoring with an elite defensive performance, and they also ran for over 200 yards on the ground. I mean, Tennessee is capable of the latter portion of that, but I just don't think their defense is capable of doing what Bama did. Like Brett said, Tennessee's defense just isn't that great. And even if Alabama's looked suspect last week, for whatever reason, Alabama just was clicking on all cylinders defensively in that game, and they were able to do something that Tennessee just can't. Um, so I actually see Tennessee's run-heavy offense as a disadvantage here. They'll probably end up playing from behind, and they'll be unable to do what they do best. And so a lot more pressure is going to be put on Hendon to throw the ball. And during his time at Virginia Tech, when those situations arose, that was when he wasn't at his best. So this is actually my lock of the week. Um, Ole Miss is going to win this game by two touchdowns at least. They'll probably they might score over sixty. <laughs> they might cover the over under on their own. I don't know. Uh, but take this take this bet to the bank. Three points is insultingly low. Take this to the bank and buy yourself a whole lot of popcorn. Yeah, I'm on Ole Miss too. I mean, I Matt Corral is incredible. Hendon Hooker has been great too, but I think what we know from Hendon Hooker's time at Virginia Tech is that if Hendon Hooker is asked to throw the ball 45 or 50 times a game, it is a roller coaster, which is what I was referring to, Sam. I see you doing the motion there. Uh, It is a roller coaster because Hendon Hooker is good at what he's good at. He's also really bad at what he's bad at. He is a inconsistent quarterback at times. Um, He is inherently limited going through his progressions, things like that. Now, what Josh Heupel's done a really good job of is making sure that Hendon Hooker has not been in too many positions where he's had to go through like three or four progressions. He's been getting out of Hooker's hands quickly, which I think has really helped him. But the way I look at this is that if Matt Corral and that Ole Miss offense, if they go out and they make Tennessee score a bunch of points, I'm going to take the better quarterback, who's Matt Corral. And I think Ole Miss wins this game. I think Ole Miss does score in the 60s because I'm – I'm not so sure Tennessee's defense is going to be able to hold that offense down at all. I just don't see it happening. And and for Ole Miss's defense, I mean, they were really bad last year. They haven't been great this year, but at times they've been okay uh, with DJ Durkin leading that unit. Say what you want about DJ Durkin. I, I know he's had a bit of a checkered past, but as a defensive coordinator, he's it's been a bit better than it, than it has been um, under Lane Kiffin. So I trust Ole Miss's defense a little bit more. I trust Ole Miss's offense a little bit more. And I think Mississippi wins and covers here. Picking this game was 
I thought going to be harder than it was when I saw a minus three line and 81 total points because the amount of variance that you have to have for such a tight line and an insane over is absolutely crazy. So for me trying to find the outlier and not kind of bias my opinion based off of Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech, but now we have to kind of base it off of Hendon Hooker at Tennessee under a much better kind of coaching program here with Josh Heupel. I don't think that's even an argument anybody would fight against. It just came down to the fact that, oh, yeah, I like had to tap myself up. I picked Matt Corral to be the preseason dark horse for the Heisman just because I knew that what he showed last year, if he could minimize the turnovers, he would really be able to just not only consistently win football games, Lane Kiffin's offense, but make a real candidacy towards his Heisman potential because he does both at a much higher level than Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is like a, um, like a bootleg version of Matt Corral, kind of what we're thinking about in terms of, throwing and running kind of production at the quarterback position. And Mississippi is just more primed to be able to go into a game like this at night on the road with, I would consider to be not just a better offense, but also just a better team in general based off of where Tennessee had to essentially, I mean, they have a long road to get back to being a more consistently better program. I do think they're on that path, but uh, this one was actually a lot easier. I'm actually in the same kind of grouping, this is my lock of the week. Give me Mississippi. I'm all over the Rebels on this one. And uh, I, I don't think this one will actually go over. I'm actually going to pick the under in this one, which I feel is is kind of, you know, I'm rooting against uh, points, which is boo. Yeah, I, I hate that about this. But it's because I don't think Tennessee is actually going to be able to put up as many points as people think they are based off of their much softer schedule to date. I looked at the just Tennessee Pittsburgh game as kind of like a bouncing off point in terms of what I think this game was going to be like. I do think that Ole Miss scores more, but I do think that Tennessee will actually score less than they did at Pitt. Um, and also uh, Pitt in and of itself is much more up there in terms of an actual kind of viable passing attack type offense than Tennessee is. And just as we mature down the line here in the season, I think Mississippi will actually be able to stop Hendon Hooker in the Tennessee offense enough so we don't get close towards that 81 line. So for me, it's going to be probably somewhere Ole Miss in the in the high 40s and Tennessee probably in the um, the high 20s. So final score kind of 45, 25-ish. And last week we clean swept with Iowa covering against Penn State. Are we going to clean sleep, clean sweep with Ole Miss this week? Yes, we are, because despite what the members of Virginia Tech Twitter who have no personal descriptors in their uh, profiles would have you think, Hendon Hooker is not a Heisman Trophy candidate. Matt Corral actually is. Um, You know, you would think the last few weeks with the way Hooker's been playing, which credit to him, he's been playing very well, but those certain people on Hokie Twitter are putting him in a class that he is just not a part of. Matt Corral is, on the other hand, and Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points. Uh, Tennessee, you know, on the right track, but Lane Kiffin and what might be the most morally corrupt staff in the country down there in Ole Miss, um, they're putting up a ton of points, and I'm just going to roll with Matt Corral and Ole Miss. It'll be a fun game. I mean, I if you can watch any game on Saturday, this might be the game. But we know you won't just be watching college football this weekend. You'll be watching some NFL action as well, and DraftKings has you covered with the NFL action. If you are a new user for DraftKings, download the DraftKings app, 
enter your promo code SOS, you get the option to opt in to a free $150 of bets on NFL games. That's right. Free $150 instantly on the DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, it is incredible. The whole DraftKings app has been amazing since we started using it. It's like an arcade for sports betting. You can do daily fantasy. You can do game picks. They have so many alternate lines, alternate game totals for college football and the NFL. And with the code SOS, you can get a free shot at $150 in free bets. Don't have sports gambling in your state? That's okay because DraftKings still has huge cash prizes available up for grabs all season long with daily fantasy contests. You can have a free shot at millions of dollars in those. It's so much fun. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Again, that's code SOS. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SOS to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code SOS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, fellas, let's move out west. And this is an interesting, interesting non-conference matchup. Brigham Young is six-point underdogs traveling to Waco, Texas to play the Baylor Bears. This game will be on at 3.30 on ESPN, over-under is set at a 50-burger. A really tough game to pick because BYU is a team riding high, and then they lost to a pretty mediocre Boise State team at home. Brett, how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, you know, I said I never said bet against Jesus. You know, you don't bet against touchdown Jesus. You don't bet against BYU at home. But, I mean, this is a tough one for me. I don't really know a whole lot about Bayward, to be honest. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of Big 12 football this year, so this one's going to be tough for me. You know, they've looked pretty good. They, um, from what I've seen, what I've read, BYU, I think they're getting the points here because of a disappointing loss, like you said, at home last week. I think they're a good football team. I think they're a well-coached football team. Playing at Baylor's tough, but I, I, this is tough. I really not sure here. I would ask the Mountain West representative to come save me here shortly, but he's going next anyway. Um, I'm actually thinking I'm on BYU here just because I think they're getting it up. This is a get-back game for them. Yeah, I, I'm on BYU here. I think they're a good football team. This is a get-back game for them. Give me the points. I think it's going to be close. I think the Baylor Bears, what, the Big 12 is pretty weak, as we've seen. So I'm not really sure what uh, – who's good and who's not. So I'm going to go BYU here. Um, Give me the points. I don't hate that pick. I don't hate it. However, I have already faded Baylor once this year when they played at Oklahoma State. Who's the only person on the podcast to pick that. Got it right. And I feel like I'm counting my luck if I bet against them twice, Uh, especially with this game being at home. They have played well at home this season. Uh, I, they're becoming a more and more efficient team as the season goes on. And I think that's really impressive, especially with a newer coaching staff down there. I feel like they've been able to, you know, really get into their system very well. BYU is not a great team off of a loss historically. And especially this game is on the road 
against a power five team. I'm not sure that I like that. Uh, I'm going to go Baylor and I'm going to go minus six. I think it'll be a close game, but at the end of the day, I think Baylor can, you know, somehow managed to win this game probably by eight or nine points. But uh, I, I just don't have a lot of faith in BYU to go on the road and win this bounce back game. To me, this reminds like Virginia Tech fans will know this story very well, where a team starts season well, they look good. And then there's just that kind of mid to late October, that two week span where it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look crisp. There's injuries all over the place. And then you kind of need that bye week, need that cupcake game to get things back on the trail. And you end the season nine and three, 10 and two, or whatever. I think BYU is a poster child for that this season. So I'm going to go Baylor. BYU loses two in a row, but they'll get things going towards the end of the year. You know, Sam, one of your uh, catchphrases is that you don't just walk into Provo, Utah and come out with a win. However, I'm going to challenge you with a new one. You don't just walk into Waco, Texas and come out with a win. You know, Baylor has actually established itself a pretty nice home field advantage in recent years. Since 2018, the Bears are 15-5 and at McLean Stadium at home, which isn't it's not a it's not like Penn State good or anything like that, but if you consider all the ups and downs and coaching changes that this program has gone under in the last five years, that's pretty impressive. Um, and and this showed itself last week as they absolutely dismantled West Virginia. Now BYU is probably a better team than you know two and four West Virginia, so that loss is looking fantastic. By the way, uh, Virginia Tech fans. Um. I, I, these two teams are about to become rivals in the big 12, which is pretty cool. And this is just an appetizer of what's to come. Um, I do see Baylor winning this game by a touchdown or more. I, like Sam said, I think I'm gonna go with the home field advantage here. Um, I'm gonna go with what I view as the safer pick, which is the currently power five team at home, uh, with a six point spread against a group of five or independent team. I was disappointed by BYU against Boise. I was surprised. I mean, I, I thought BYU would be more prepared in the trenches than they were for a majority of that football game. That just surprised me a lot. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble here on the road against Baylor. Uh, I like Baylor to win and cover. Jerry Bohan has been really good. They got something going at quarterback. Like Sam mentioned, you, uh, Baylor has played well at home. BYU is coming off an emotional loss. You know, I could see BYU, you know, going into Waco with something to prove and pulling out a victory. But then I think in my head about how well Baylor has played for the majority of this season, except for that Oklahoma State game. And I just think Baylor's the better team. And I think Baylor's playing better competition. And I think Baylor's got better athletes and they're at home. And I just think Baylor's the pick. All right. So this one was one where I just by the nature of these teams, not necessarily being on kind of heavy uh, kind of air broadcast games on national primetime. It's kind of tough. So really last week was the first impression I got to sit down and actually watch BYU game. And of course, obviously they laid an absolute goose egg against Boise State. The game ended up being a little bit closer uh, score wise than it actually was. But my overall takeaway was just let me zoom out a little bit and kind of get a sense for why this isn't even a higher spread because right now the public perception is that BYU is a, you know, kind of a low end group of five type team program and kind of why that is. Well, 
I think the perception was is their big primetime game that they played was based off of last season. You had Zach Wilson. He was a big kind of quarterback one type prospect. And they had to piece together a really crappy schedule from a strength perspective. And that was basically the one time that they really had to make a, an argument as being a, a pretty consistent program that plays more of almost a Notre Dame-ish type schedule from an independent perspective than they do your standard kind of conference-affiliated group of five type opponents. So if you go back, uh, I really only look since 2016. Uh, that's just because that's when their newer head coach came in, Kalani Sataki, when he came over and took over uh, Bronco Mendenhall's position at BYU. You forget that they actually play a pretty solid power five conference, I mean, uh, independent schedule. So they will always play a handful of Pac-12, mostly Pac-12 South teams. Uh, They'll play some Big Ten teams, some SEC teams consistently on a yearly basis. And so in those matchups, you know, generally most of them can be kind of on the road because not a lot of teams willingly go out to, to BYU and, and Provo and, and, and play games on the road at their, excuse me, at their stadium. So they're generally underdogs and away team and in a way underdog for the most part. So I kind of went in this one, looked at the team ranking trends. So since 2016, as an underdog, BYU 16 and eight against the spread as an away team, 18 and nine against the spread. And then this was the kicker for me. And it's why I'm leaning heavily against BYU, excuse me, towards BYU as an away underdog, which has been the majority of those games against their power five independent schedule opponents, 10 and two against the spread with a margin of victory of minus 1.6. So they're actually capable of going on the road, playing tough matchups, which I don't consider Baylor to be one of those traditional tough road environments that you have to play at you know we have a kind of recency bias with what matt rule was able to do there and obviously during the peak of the rg3 era but baylor isn't traditionally known as a powerhouse home environment to play in so the two factors where home teams are doing really really well at home to me as uh, favorites against the spread this year but i couldn't go away against an 83 percent cover rate for byu considering they're also playing a pretty solid schedule this year. They're kind of the de facto Pac-12 South champions at this point because they've beaten almost everybody in that division. And that was the kind of balance of the skills there. So plus six, almost a touchdown. Uh, give me the points. Give me BYU. And I'll, I'll zag a little bit from the last couple of people. But uh, the Cougars just make more sense here. I'll round this one out. And then we can get to the one that we're all just so excited to talk about. Um, but man, how how happy do you think Baylor is that they don't have the current Virginia Tech co- coach and they have um, Dave Aranda and how well he's done so far? But um, I'm going to go with Baylor here. I watched them at, uh, for a little while last week against West Virginia, and they could put up points in a hurry. Um, and then by in a hurry, I mean they scored within like the first three plays of the game. Um, I'm, I'm going to subscribe to the better athlete theory here and whether or not that's correct, you know, in terms of recruiting rankings and whatnot, I just feel like Baylor is a little too fast for uh, BYU and they'll be able to, they'll be able to score enough points at home here to cover the spread. So I'm going to go with Baylor uh, and another program that is trending in the right direction. It's a really interesting non-conference matchup and credit to BYU. I know a lot of people are saying, Hey, they need to join a conference. They need to, you know, really get into big boy football because they're a program that should be in big boy football, but credit to them. They schedule really tough schedule. I mean, very easily, they could have played ranked Utah, ranked Boise State, ranked Arizona State, and ranked Baylor. So credit to them. The Cougars are a really good team. I'm excited to see them playing in Power 5 football very, very soon. 
All right, guys, you got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. Let's. It's. This will be a good ventilation session. Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, an old rivalry, two teams that do not like each other one little bit. Pittsburgh currently is five-point favorites at Virginia Tech. That line will probably move to minus six uh, in the coming days. We're recording this on Tuesday night, so just uh, it'll probably move to minus six. Game will be at 330. I, I mean, it's 58 the over-under. Uh, if you're interested in it, the, the Virginia Tech money line is currently at plus 170. Uh, Brett, I don't think this game needs much introduction. Take it away. Uh, my stomach hurts already. Um, I mean, our friends Billy Ray, Grayson, and Pat have already hammered a lot of the things home that we don't really probably need to hammer what's going on, what's wrong, what's, what's happening with this team. So I'm going to try to look at it from just a – analytical well i guess not really analytical i'll do like a macro analytical kind of perspective uh the defense is going to have to play lights out to win this game it's pretty plain and simple and they're gonna have to play lights out to even cover the spread and even keep it close um kenny two gloves i said earlier shredded the tennessee defense and he shredded every defense they played pittsburgh has played pretty much nobody though um the whole year i'll say that Um, they've played a umass team that's the worst in the country, but beat the team that I'm currently wearing uh, on, which makes me feel really good. So, and then they also played a New Hampshire team, and he, I will just say, he padded the stats that game pretty easily for him. They kept him into like the third way into the third quarter just to just let him throw as many touchdowns as he could. So, for me, I think there's a path. And I said this last week. There is a path for Jim Tech to win this game. I was burned last week and it hurt my soul so much because I, I literally think we got to, we handed them the game away and I don't even see us really handing the game this, the, the game this week away. I think the points are going to be too much. I think the defense is going to be on the field too much. They're going to play lights out in the beginning and it's just going to wear them down. Um, defensive back play has been pretty good. I mean, Jermaine Waller is obviously having, the career, the season that we thought he was going to have last year, but of injury, but he had injuries. So I think if the special defensive line gets no pressure on Kenny Pickett, we are grade A USDA certified screwed. So I'm going with Pittsburgh minus five here. It's the first time I've played against Tech this year, and it really hurts, but I'm going to have to do it. You sound like a defeated man, Brett. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, last week I I was in kind of the situation that you're in where I looked at this game statistically, you try to look at it without orange maroon colored glasses on. And I looked at that Notre Dame game and I said, "Ah, you know what? The things Virginia Tech would need to do in this game to win are just they're not things that they do." And I think you saw that where, you know, Virginia Tech ended up uh only scoring what was it 20, 23 offensive points in the game? Uh, got to 29 because of the pick six from, you know, a, a defense that has played significantly better than they had in the previous years. I looked at this game and I, I don't feel great about it, but there is a path 
for Virginia Tech. And why don't I feel great about it? Just really quickly, Virginia Tech is 2-8 and eight against the spread against Pittsburgh in the last 10. Virginia Tech is 3-7 and seven against the spread in their last 10 overall. Uh, Pittsburgh is 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six games. This game will definitely be a battle of the Pittsburgh passing offense versus the Virginia Tech passing defense. Both of those units are ranked number six in the country in EPA uh, per pass. So definitely two of the top, uh, probably the best battle you might get all season in terms of passing offense versus passing defense. But how can Virginia Tech win this game? They're going to win it in old school Virginia Tech way. That is with two areas, field position, special team battle, and the third down battle. I'm going to throw a bunch of numbers. Stop me at any point if I'm rambling. Pittsburgh is the number 107th defensive field position team. The opponent's average starting field position is a 31.4 yard line. They're number 58 in the country in net field position at about even. So Pittsburgh is not a team that wins the field position battle. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, is. They're number 12 in offensive field position, starting at the 30, about the 33-yard line. And they're number seven in the country at defensive field position, with teams starting at their own 24-yard line. Net, they're the 10th best field position team in the country. Now, another aspect of this is special teams. In Virginia Tech, obviously known for Beamer ball, but has been pretty good at special teams outside of a few missed field goals, which seem kind of like an anomaly considering that we've seen John Parker Romo hit two long under pressure field goals this year. It seems like he does have that ability. Football Outsiders has Virginia Tech as the 24th ranked special teams, even with those field goal misses. But in kick return efficiency, the Hokies are 16th in the country. Pittsburgh's 110th. In punt return efficiency, Virginia Tech's 43rd in the country, Pittsburgh 71st. And in punt punt efficiency, shout out Peter Moore, Virginia Tech is 32nd, Pittsburgh 94th. Virginia Tech's the better special teams team. If Virginia Tech's going to have a shot in this game, they need to dominate special teams in the field position battle. We've seen Tavion Robinson look really good. We've seen Keyshawn King look really good in the return game. They're going to need a spark plug from that. They're going to need to dominate field position. Which leads into the next one, the third down battle. This is where I think Virginia Tech, if they can figure just a little bit out offensively, they'll have an advantage over Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh offense, and like I said, you know, percent first down on certain downs is a really important analytical stat to look at because you want to avoid third down. But when you get to third down, the Pittsburgh offense is 70th in the nation in third and fourth down success rate, only converting about 41.5%, whereas the Virginia Tech defense is fifth in third and fourth down success rate. Now, on the flip side of that, Pittsburgh is a top third team in the country at getting a first down on first and second down, where Virginia Tech is second to last in the country at allowing teams to get a first down on first or second down. So the key right there, Virginia Tech, Get Pittsburgh to third down, allow the crowd to get into it, give yourself the chance to blitz, give yourself the chance to put pass rush on. When you do that, Pittsburgh is not as good of an offense and you are a better defense. Survive first and second down. Now let's, you know, let's do the Missy Elliott, right? Let's put our thing down, flip it and reverse it. 
other side of the ball, the Pittsburgh defense is 103rd in first and second down success. They're terrible on first and second down. The Virginia Tech offense is also terrible on first and second down, and that's where Virginia Tech needs to get better. If they can pass the ball more on first and second down, they're one of the worst teams passing in early downs in the country. If they can try to get the ball at Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner earlier in possessions, they have a shot to be much better in that area. And the reason is, is because you don't want to face the Pittsburgh defense on third down, where they're 11th in the country, and then Virginia Tech offense is sitting right about midway at 67th in the sixty seventh in the country in third or fourth down defense. Does any of that make sense? It does, but you're listing all of these things that if Tech does this thing, they could win, they could have a chance. But Sam, does it happen though? Well, that's another thing. Is we talked about how Virginia Tech could beat Notre Dame, and they were right there. Like the reason Virginia Tech lost that game, obviously the goal line situation, but then also the defense just collapsed in the final two drives. They were exhausted. That's the reason Virginia Tech lost that game. And I think if you can, you know, control the clock, which Virginia Tech has proven they're able to do this this season. I think you put yourself in a better position towards the end of a game to not allow something like that to happen and to allow a Marty Bonner and Taiwan Garbett and, you know, Chamari Connor coming off the edge to be a little bit more energized. I'm not saying Virginia Tech is going to flat out win this game. I think that's a bit of a stretch. But if you're looking at a home dog at five, what will end up probably being six points, I do feel pretty comfortable taking Virginia Tech in this scenario because there is a window for them to dominate special teams and to dominate the third and fourth down. And it would be very, very Virginia Tech to somehow win this game. Virginia Tech has bounced back from bad losses before. They have a tendency to do it under Justin Fuente. And Pittsburgh has a tendency to just crap the bed. Pittsburgh does that. They did it against Western Michigan. Again, this is not a this is not a top 10 team Virginia Tech is playing. This is a team that lost to Western Michigan. Uh on the flip side of that, Pittsburgh's offense could go off for like 45 points and Tech could struggle and be blown out. There's also that. That could happen. It's happened a lot. That could happen. But I'm going to take Virginia Tech at home plus five points. And I think I have a lot of evidence to back it up, and I feel good about it, and I'm in no way, shape, or form doubting that decision. You know, I felt the same way last week when I picked the Hokies. I was, I was sitting there on the beach and I, I originally texted Sam and told him I was picking Notre Dame. And then I sat there and I thought about it and I convinced myself that tech was going to win the game. You had one more daiquiri and you're like, ah, we got this. Yep. Yep. That, uh, that next whiskey sour really got me. And I was like, tech's tech's doing it. They're winning by two touchdowns. And then obviously that didn't happen. So looking at this game, uh, the thing that really sticks out to me, and granted, I am not even close to a medical expert, and I don't want to sit here and speculate on injuries, but the way Braxton Burmeister looked at the end of that game last week, he looked like he was in a lot of pain in his throwing shoulder. Um, again, I, I, I'm not an expert, and I'm not going to speculate, but it is hard to imagine that he will be 100% for this game. And Pat Narduzzi knows this. 
he basically said as much um, this week in his press conference uh, that he explained where he expects the Hokies to run the ball quite a bit. Um, I'm not going to read his quotes because I don't really uh, like to read things or hear things that he says because we don't like that guy. Uh, But he does expect the Hokies to run the ball a lot. And why wouldn't they? The passing attack has been suspect enough um, as the season has unfolded thus far. And you add in a quarterback who has an at least somewhat injured throwing shoulder. uh, There will probably be few passes thrown or fewer passes thrown by the Hokies in this game. And unfortunately, Pitt is third in the ACC in rush defense. They give up 102 yards per game. Um, And with Braxton Hurt, potentially this also means he would be less likely to run the ball um, because, I mean, of course, you don't want to... And with Blumrick out as well, there goes one of your backup quarterbacks. So naturally, it's far more risky to have Braxton run the ball. So it's reasonable to think that he will run the ball less. So a further brunt of the rushing responsibility is going to have to be put on the running backs. And so far, the statistics will tell us that that's not a good thing. Tech running backs just have not been able to get separation. Um, The four running backs to get at least one carry this year, Raheem Blackshear, Jalen Holston, Keyshawn King, and uh, getting his first five carries of his career last week against Notre Dame, Malachi Thomas, uh, they're combining to average less than three and a half yards per carry. Um, the offensive line is just not getting enough push in the run game. I think Chris might uh, talk about that a little more in depth. Um, and these running backs are just not able to um, overcome that. You know, in in football, when you don't have a great offensive line and you're a running back and you're being met in the backfield almost every play, you have to have this special combo of elusiveness and downfield vision. Um, I honestly think Khalil Herbert had that to a degree um, last year for the Hokies. Granted, he was running behind a much better offensive line, but I just don't see any of these Hokie running backs with that quality. Um, And Pitt's defensive line is very good. That's what they do best is they consistently have NFL caliber defensive lines. Um, So they're going to be in the backfield all game. And I just find it difficult to believe that these backs will be able to consistently make those guys miss and grind out those chunk yards that the Hokies would need to find offensive production. I do believe that Tech's defense will do well. Um, I think they'll slow down Pickett and they'll slow down the Pitt offense. I think this is probably the toughest test that Pickett and the Panthers have faced this season. Um, Tech's defense is still really good. I, I still believe that it's a very good defense. Um, so they will challenge Pitt, but I just don't have any faith in the offense. I mean, guys, I don't know if I don't know if the offense will score two touchdowns. I could I could see Tech only coming out of here with ten points, and that would be brutal. Um, but I I see this as like a twenty four ten, just ugly ugly game. And I see the Panthers covering the spread and then some. I think you guys know where I stand with the coaching staff and wrote it over at Sons of Saturday today. I think a lot of you listening have probably read it already. I, it's very week to week with this Virginia Tech football team right now. And it's not about the micro view of it. It's about the macro. And the, the issues that are catching up with Virginia Tech are depth related. You know, I, I thought Virginia Tech 
you know, there are a few, a few plays you can nitpick from the two losses that, you know, cost Virginia Tech the game. And there were a few plays from an execution standpoint on, on good play calls on offense and, you know, tackles that could have been made on defense that weren't that cost Tech the game against both West Virginia and Notre Dame. This Virginia Tech team, to me, the effort is there. I mean, nobody's doubting the effort of these players. I think with Virginia Tech teams in the past, we've been able, under Justin Fuente, we've been able to look at them and say, you know what, they're not, they're not playing that hard for them and they're not playing that well. Like this Virginia Tech team is playing hard and in a lot of ways, in a lot of these games, playing well. Now, the issue is going to come down to, for, the, for this Virginia Tech team, the issue is it's going to be totally situational. Uh, you know, can Virginia Tech make enough situational plays when it matters uh, to win a football game against a team that they're on the same level with? I believe Virginia Tech is on the same level as Pittsburgh. And I know that sounds absurd given what Pittsburgh's done in the early part of the year, but Pitt hasn't really played anybody. You know, they haven't. I mean, they, congrats on beating UMass 51-7, New Hampshire 77-7. to Congrats on beating a rebuilding Georgia Tech by, you know, four scores. You know, Pitt's most impressive win is at Tennessee, and they followed that up by losing at home to Western Michigan. Sam mentioned this. This Pittsburgh team, they're capable of laying an egg too, right? Like, Virginia Tech's not playing an SEC team this Saturday. I mean, they're, they're playing Pitt. Virginia Tech has never lost at home to Pittsburgh under Justin Fuente. They've been close, but they haven't lost at home to Pittsburgh under Justin Fuente. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense, in my opinion, is by far the best defense that Pittsburgh has faced thus far in 2021. Virginia Tech's biggest weakness defensively, I think this manifests itself this past Saturday against Notre Dame, is the rushing defense. And I would be concerned about missing Dax Hollyfield for an entire half and, and missing him in the middle of the defense, but Pitt can't run the ball. So I don't think it really matters all that much, right? And I, I, I get that Justin Fuente is concerned because, you know, Dax is the communicator in the middle of the defense. But Dax's play in general has kind of been up and down. And it's been a little bit better since he moved back to Mike, but it's been up and down this year too. And the way I look at it too is, I just don't think Pittsburgh is going to run the ball with all that much success. And I think that's where you really miss Dax Hollyfield, right? Is, is, you know, against the run, not against the pass, especially now that he's playing Mike and not backer. So I, I, the way I look at this is I think Kenny Pickett is, has been great. Uh, there's no disputing that he's been efficient. He's not turning the ball over. This is the best version of Kenny Pickett we've seen in his, you know, five years at Pitt. Is that sustainable against a Virginia Tech defense has been really good? You know, that, that's the question in, in terms of the spread in this football game. My concern for the Hokies is on the offensive side of the ball, like it has been in every single game this year. But Virginia Tech has still found ways to move the ball down the field. Pittsburgh's defense is, is good. The front is good, right? The, the defensive line has been very good. Secondary has been a bit up and down. Linebacker play a bit up and down. Pittsburgh's defense overall is good, but I don't think it's a situation where Virginia Tech just flat out can't score unless Burmeister is really, really hurt, which is on the table, guys. I mean, it certainly is on the table. I mean, Justin Fuente saying that that he's a full go, I, you know, 
we'll see. I mean, I, I we all can acknowledge that Burmeister is certainly nowhere close to 100%. So what does this offense look like with Braxton Burmeister on Saturday? And whether or not Burmeister is, is fully healthy is going to go a long way to determining whether or not Virginia Tech can not only cover this spread, but win the game outright. But we've seen Virginia Tech do it before. And I don't trust Pittsburgh. I, I don't trust Virginia Tech either, but I don't trust Pittsburgh. And more often than not, as much as as much as we criticize Justin Fuente and his teams that he puts out on the field, Virginia Tech, when when they have a conference game at home, when their back is against the wall, coming off of a tough loss, more often than not, they win those football games. And this Pittsburgh team, we've already seen them lay, lay an egg against Western Michigan. Who's to say they won't lay an egg again? So I don't know if Virginia Tech wins this game outright. I'm not even sure if I'd bet Virginia Tech plus five. But if this thing gets up to six, like I think it's going to, or maybe six and a half, I'm on Virginia Tech, guys. I'm on Virginia Tech to keep this within a touchdown. For the sake of this podcast, at at plus five, I'll take the Hokies too. Again, I don't know if they win the game outright, but I do think they keep this thing competitive with their defense. I think defense keeps them in the game. Sam's right. Like The special teams is a big deal. If this game's close and Virginia Tech special teams plays out and plays well and plays like they have really all year, we get a good John Parker Romo game. That that could be the difference in a tight game. So I'm going to go Virginia Tech plus the points. I don't know if they win it outright, but I think the Hokies are the pick here, especially if it gets up to six, six and a half, which I think if if you're patient betting on this game, you're listening to this podcast, haven't placed a bet yet. I'd wait till this gets up to six, six and a half before I place a bet on the Hokies if you're leaning that direction. So when this line first came out and I almost had to spit my drink up because I think the early before the rest of the Vegas kind of lines kicked in, it was a pick them. And then there was a little bit of a heartbeat. And then later on in the day, I think after some of the Burmeister news kind of started to come through in terms of what could or could not be deemed like an injury. And it kind of re-released itself as a plus five, plus six. And to be honest, I was actually shocked that it was that low. So for me, I looked at this as what is the reason why this spread isn't more? Why isn't Pittsburgh all of a sudden favored by, you know, more than a touchdown? Because uh, the public sentiment would have been by anybody who's just a non-biased observer, Pittsburgh should be favored by that much more because they do one thing at an elite level that Virginia Tech has not faced yet. And we all know that that's passing the football. Granted, against probably what I would consider to be subpar type team. So I, I looked at just the blend of the overall college football stats plus PFF rankings, which tend to kind of cut through the noise of strength of schedule and strength of your opponents. And outside of Virginia, you know, this will be one of the two best passing offenses that we will have seen to date because North Carolina no longer counts. We can no longer count them as kind of Virginia Tech uh showing their ability to stop an elite passing attack because of how we played against North Carolina. That's now seen as kind of the outlier in all of this. So there wasn't a whole lot to really base this off of. Um, So for me, I had to kind of go back into some of the more non-statistical based uh, kind of observations, which is, and if you go back to last week, I laid out a pretty good case in terms of why I don't trust the staff at all whatsoever. But the one thing that I can say about this staff with this team is that they play hard and that's been different in years past. And that is just, it it, it sounds pretty defeatist to say that the one good thing they do is play hard, even though they might be in crushing losses. But um, 
I do believe that there will be some sort of game plan in place to at least be able to be efficient enough on offense. Granted, their run offense stinks. Their pass offense has a lot of inefficiencies. The quarterback's banged up. But I do believe that they'll have some sort of game plan against Pitt, which we have to base this game in terms of historical performance against Pitt because Fuente at home is really good at them. And we've had other good uh, kind of outliers in terms of, excuse me, other good data points in terms of Fuente's performance against certain teams. And he seems to play really well against UNC, really good against UVA, and really good at home versus Pitt. And that's kind of it. That's like his entire resume is within those kind of three teams in specifics in terms of who he's playing. So I do have to believe that there will be that element in there. I do believe that the team does, like, they consider Pitt to be a team that they hate in terms of just the overall teams that they play probably a little bit harder at in the schedule. And the fact that it's at home, they're coming off a loss. There's no reason anybody should take Virginia Tech other than the long kind of list of stuff that Sam laid out in terms of just this is a defense and special teams, which I do believe in as many throws that Kenny Pickett will probably pass on Saturday afternoon, a defensive pick six type situation is not beyond the realm of possibility. And it would be very fitting that we kick a bunch of field goals. The defense scores the one kind of, you know, excuse me, return touchdown that keeps us in the game. And then we're efficient enough on maybe one other drive and we hold pit to, you know, a, a, a more sustainable kind of low thirties, high thirties. And I do think that, excuse me, low thirties, high twenties and Virginia tech. I do believe they'll be able to score in this football game. It won't be pretty, but they'll put points on the board. Um, and that's been the case the entire season. Um, so I am begrudgingly, taking Virginia Tech and the points in this one. I just don't think that Pitt on the road, mind you, if this was at home, that means the spread would be, you know, minus eight Pittsburgh. I just don't think that they are eight points totally better than us. I do think the talent spread is not wide enough to consider them that much of almost a double digit favorite against Virginia Tech, even though they are passing the football at an elite level. You know, to me, you know, the other team is UVA and it's, you know, that's another team where I'm just, I'm not scared of these types of teams. I'll probably regret saying that, but I don't think Virginia Tech is scared of Pitt. And I do think that they'll have something dialed up and they'll be playing an extra level gear higher on defense to keep them in check because they are so one dimensional. And I do think that those elements that same laid out in terms of defense special teams, the field position battle, keeping them constantly having to drive uh, the whole distance or near the whole distance of the field to be able to score as many points. And for their schedule, Virginia Tech will probably be, not probably, it's, it's you know, backed up by the metrics, the best defense that they played to date. So I don't think you're going to see the same pit offense. So with all that, give me the points, give me the Hokies. I, I hope they have it in to pull it off. I'm, I'm cheering for them. Amongst all the people on locks, I was probably the most bullish on their win total at the beginning of the season. Um, um, I'm very skeptical to see if they can still perform that, you know, but this is for the coastal. This one does have a lot of weight on it. And I do think coming off a pretty tough home loss, they'll be able to kind of rally around it because the effort hasn't necessarily waned throughout the season. They've been able to play hard. So uh, give me the, give me the points. I unfortunately have to pick Pitt here. I don't know any way that I can come off of watching what went down the last, you know, three minutes and change of that game and not pick Pitt. Um, Very unfortunate because I don't like Pitt. And I don't like Narduzzi and he doesn't like Virginia Tech. And that is partly why I think that if 
they have the opportunity to do so, they will run this thing up on the Hokies. Um, I'm not super convinced that Kenny Pickett is this, you know, all-world quarterback. And as it's already been mentioned by some of you guys, their schedule's been kind of weak. But um, this is their, you know, best team by default because they have the quarterback play that's the best that they've had in the time that I've been following the ACC and Virginia Tech. Um, funny enough, it's the same quarterback, and he's still there. But Kenny Pickett's figured something out this year. Um, and, you know, the way the Hokies lost that game, um, it's kind of one of those games where, you know, your season can go one of two ways. It can completely fall off the rails or you can, you know, take it and run with it. And unfortunately so far in the Fuente era, the the former has happened way too often. Uh, you lose a game like that, it's a heartbreaker and things kind of can spiral really quick. Um, I think Virginia Tech would have a better chance in this game if I was confident that Braxton was actually quote good to go. Um, he, he played, you know, the numbers and stats don't really show it in terms of quarterback rating and completion percentage, but he made some damn good throws the other night, um, including the one that got called back on the Tavion Robinson touchdown. So he made some great throws. His legs are obviously always a weapon. Um, but he, <laughs> I don't know how I can come away from some of the clips from that game and think, yeah, he's definitely going to be healthy seven days later. Um, healthy enough to put up the points that I think Pitt will be able to. Um, I'm hopeful Virginia Tech's defense can, you know, bend but don't break. And, you know, I do think there'll be some interceptions and some key defensive plays. But uh, in general, I don't know that our offense is built to keep pace with an offense that's scoring at the rate that Pitt currently is. And I know that Narduzzi's not going to um, take it lightly on the Hokies. He's not a big fan of Virginia Tech or Justin Fuente. So, I'm going to go with Pitt here. I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I just think the way that Virginia Tech lost in Notre Dame is one of those games that can, you know, derail an entire season. So hopefully I'm talking like an idiot and hopefully. I'm wrong come this time next week, but I don't see it. Yeah, it's really hard to fault anybody for fading Virginia Tech right now. They they just look a bit... It's it's always something, right? And I, I want to kind of move us along here, and we'll talk about the prop bets because I think that'll kind of open up a little bit more of that conversation. First, let's look at last week real quick. We had three prop bets last week for Virginia Tech. First one, Braxton Burmeister over under 50 rushing yards, excluding sacks. That was an over. He had 59 rushing yards, excluding sacks. Another one, we had Trey Turner over under nine and a half targets. Close. Nine targets. And Tech offense looks a whole lot better when they're targeting Trey Turner. And I'll tell you what, that call back on the Tavion Robinson touchdown, which was awful because it looked like he was still engaged with his blocker with the defensive lineman. I don't know why that was called. And then inches away from Trey Turner. Braxton Burmeister could have had a heck of a stat line. And then the third one, running back duo yards. I think this is where Virginia Tech flat out lost this game. Notre Dame's running back duo combined for 114 yards from scrimmage. Virginia Tech's only 56. Jalen Holston had negative five or negative one yards rushing on five carries. Not great. This week, let's start it with rickety Kenny Pickett. Kenny two gloves. Over under 320 yards passing for Kenny Pickett. He is averaging 332 against FBS competition this year. I'm going to go under. I think, I think he'll struggle. I think he might get to 300, but I think 320 is a bit much. Yeah, I'm going to go under. I'm going to go like 300 as well. I'm going to go under, 
which is kind of anti everything I just said, because I think if it's over, if he goes over that number, Virginia Tech's got no chance. Um, but I don't know that he gets over 320. That's that's a high number for a college quarterback against the defense of the caliber of Virginia Tech on the road. Uh, so I'm going to go under, but man, I don't know how to feel about this game. I'm going to let y'all talk. <laughs> I think this is one where uh, if Virginia Tech executes its game strategy, which hopefully is centered around just not necessarily um, being efficient offense, but holding the ball as long as possible as well. So I just think that the volume of attempts might not necessarily be there. Pittsburgh, they're good, but they're not necessarily an elite explosively. They do a lot of kind of chunk play, kind of grinded out type drives for the most part. So uh, I just don't see the volume numbers being there and, I think right now, Middle Tennessee has the highest passing yards against us all game. And that's because they're mostly playing from behind. And um, I just don't necessarily see that being this type of game where, you know, I think it was what, 280 passing yards for Middle Tennessee. I just, everything less than that was like right around 200. So I think somewhere in the high 200s for Kenny Pickett. Yeah. I mean, Tech currently has the third best uh, pass defense in the conference. I mean, they give up just under 200 yards a game. And I mean, granted the competition hasn't quite been there uh, from some of the quarterback play they faced, but I still believe in this Virginia tech secondary. And I said it earlier, like, I think this is going to just be a very um, strong defensive battle. I think what tech is going to try to do, I see the attempts being there for Pickett just due to the fact that I just don't see tech's offense doing much. Um, but I think what Justin Hamilton and the tech defense are going to try to do is to try to confuse Pickett and to um, force him into some mistakes. So I see Pickett with a lot of attempts, but I don't know how many completions he'll have. Um, I could see him having a pretty low completion percentage. And I mean, getting to 300, what, what was the number? 320? 320, which is 12 yards below his average against FBS teams this season. Yeah. I And I, I understand his average, but that's, that's such a ridiculous number. I, I, I don't know the last time a Virginia Tech defense has given up that many yards to a quarterback, you know? That just doesn't seem likely to me. Probably wasn't that long ago, to be honest with you. Well, that's probably fair. Yep. All right, next one we have. Tavion Robinson, who I think has continued to play really well this season. He had a nice game against Notre Dame. Tavion Robinson, over under 49 and a half receiving yards. I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'm going to go over. Even if... Burmeister has a noodle for an arm. I think they'll throw some screens and stuff, and I think he might bust one. I'll go under. I think the uh, the trajectory is turning towards Turner a little bit more. Um, I think he's getting a, a few more of the looks over the past couple games. I think that trend kind of continues. Um, I think again, I don't I don't see a lot of passing yards for the Hokies in this game. So I think that there's always one guy in each game you can kind of look at as. He's the guy, I guess, in each game, whether it's Turner, Robinson, or even against West Virginia, it was Caleb Smith. I think it's uh, I think it'll be Turner in this one. I agree with Irby from all the same reasons. And just to follow up, because we do like to close the loop on certain open-ended questions or propositions, the last quarterback uh, to put up an insane number against Virginia Tech was Pittsburgh last season, where Kenny Pickett threw for 404 yards. Granted, 
Dang it. <laughs> that Virginia Tech defense was atrocious. The secondary was awful and it was plagued by COVID. So it's a bad data point, but technically that is the last time that they put up a massive number. Uh, granted, we had over 300 yards against us three times last season. Boston College, Louisville, and aforementioned Kendall Pickett from the University of Pittsburgh. Surprisingly, Virginia Tech won two of those games last season. This is very true. All right. Here's could be the key to the game. Uh, Virginia Tech so close had another had a third interception, but uh, Virginia Tech defense over under forcing one and a half turnovers against Pittsburgh. For the sake of the podcast, I'm going to say over. And if they do get over, if they do get if they if they get more than two, if it's three, um. I think they could win the game much easier. But I think if they only get one, I think they're toast. Yeah, I mean, this is their only shot, right? I mean, if you're not going to... I don't know. It's like you talked about, Sam, with field position. A lot of that came down to special teams, but a lot of that has also come down to the defense forcing turnovers and Jermaine Waller um, almost averaging an an interception per game. Um, And if the Hokies are going to do it, they've got to force turnovers. Um, I don't know if they force multiple... I think I could see, you know, maybe Waller getting another pick, but I'm going to go under here. I'm also going to go with the under. I think Pickett what, has one interception today. He's got a 19 to 1 touchdown interception ratio. Um, so their bulk of their turnovers have come fumbles. Uh, I think they have five. They're actually pretty good total overalls program. But um, yeah, I just. I don't necessarily think Virginia Tech is kind of a forcing fumble type team. We're tackling better, but not necessarily, you know, causing that type of havoc. But we're we're uh, struggling even to get tackles for loss, certain other things. So um, those kind of like blindside hits where they could possibly sack Pickett, you can sack fumble and get that. I don't see that happening in this game either, um, just because he has a, a quicker release. So I, I just see us at best maybe getting a pick. Yeah, I agree. I see at best the pick. I will say over because Virginia Tech is due for some fumble luck. Only one fumble recovery so far this year. I think they're due for one. Just this, statistically speaking, fumbles are a bit more luck generated, especially at the college level where defenders aren't good enough to really like punch the ball out like they do in the NFL. I think they're due for that. So I think they get one fumble and one interception. That wraps up the game talk for our slate of games. Let's talk about some games we like really quickly. I'm going to list off five that I like so far already. Uh, three of them are out West because, you know, I got to stay on brand Nevada minus 14 at home against Hawaii. Hawaii is not a good team away from the islands. And I think Nevada's Carson Strong's playing really good football. He's playing like a guy who wants to be the top quarterback taken overall. I also like Utah state minus six at UNLV. UNLV is terrible and Utah state has a pretty good offense. Uh, and my last Western one, San Diego state minus eight. At San Jose State, San Jose State is one of the worst advanced analytic teams in the country. They are horrendous, and San Diego State has been phenomenal on defense. I don't know if San Jose State's going to score points in that game. Bringing it back east, hell hath no fury like Nick Saban after a loss in the regular season. They might beat Mississippi State by 50. That's all my cards. Yep. It's minus 17 and a half right now. I would hammer that, hammer that. Hammer that. They're getting the same line at Mississippi State that they did at Texas A&M. Hammer that. And then Purdue plus 11 and a half at Iowa. Classic letdown spot for Iowa. 
Purdue has a sneaky, good defense. I'm not saying they win the game, but closer than the experts think. The Boilermakers are plus 11 and a half in Iowa City. Ooh, I'm on the opposite of that one, Sam. I, that's some, I got Iowa minus 11 and a half in my card here. Um, what I really like is Rutgers. Even though they haven't looked that, they looked like not that good in the last two weeks, but they played some really tough teams, let's just be honest. Uh, I like them minus two at Northwestern, who probably is one of the worst teams in college football this year. They're not good. So I like Rutgers minus two there. Um, the Cuban Missile. I like Texas A&M minus eight and a half at Missouri. Um, that could be another letdown spot because we don't know which Texas A&M team is going to show up, but minus eight and a half at a bad Missouri team. Uh, playing in Missouri does nothing for me. I like Texas A&M sitting there. Um, I saw we were asked to cover Nebraska minus three and a half at Minnesota. Uh, I like Nebraska here. They're playing actually good football. They can't get it through. Um, this is, you know, I, I told us at the beginning of the season after Illinois, hammer them under six. They could get there, I think, now. They're playing much better football under Adrian Martinez. Um, Scott Frost actually might save his job now. Uh, it's a must-win for them at Minnesota, so I think they get it done. Um, I like Arkansas minus three and a half at home against Auburn. Auburn uh, had their had their tail tucked between their legs, especially after what happened to them last week. Arkansas, I think, could have won the game easily last week, even if it went to overtime. I don't think losing to Ole Miss really should scare anybody away and playing in Fayetteville. I think Auburn's going to walk into a buzzsaw there. Uh, what else? I got like two more. This is my actually like my biggest card of the year. I have like 10 games or 10 or 12 games. Um, actually, I think that's it. That wasn't discussed on the podcast. I'll add one more to this just because I feel like they're a pretty under the radar type team, although they do exist in the ACC. So if you can find value in a double digit margin against a terrible offense, look no further than the Syracuse plus 14 line versus Clemson tomorrow, or excuse me, Friday night. Um, I just don't believe Clemson will be able to all of a sudden fix their offensive issues. And Syracuse has a sneaky defensive line that's probably, if not just, inarguably the best in the ACC right now. Uh, they lead a lot of kind of sack metrics, tackles for loss. I do think they're going to cause a lot of pain for that pretty shaky Clemson offensive line. And they're playing in the Carrier Dome, so it's kind of like Chestnut Hill. You go up to that no-man's land, and Syracuse hasn't – excuse me, Clemson hasn't necessarily always been really good at just throwing away uh, Syracuse in terms of the opponents in their matchup. So – uh, give me the orange men as much as it pains me to take Syracuse and what I thought was going to be a pretty awful program this year. They've done a lot better than expected. So five and one this year against the spread continue rolling with the orange men. I also have that Alabama line. Um, I love the idea of Nick Saban just absolutely uh, unleashing his vengeance upon Mike Leach and the cowbells. Um, I, yeah, I think that they win that one by at least four touchdowns. I got a couple, uh, pack 12 after dark lines here, two that are basically pickums at this point. Uh, you've got UCLA plus one and a half on the road at Washington. I don't really get this line. Washington is still just not a good football team and they lost to Montana at the beginning of the season. They're just not good. Uh, I like I like UCLA on the road here to win the game uh, and cover the spread. Um, Arizona State, minus one on the road at Utah. They're only minus one. They're the number 18 team in the country on the road at Utah. Utah has been inconsistent this year. Arizona State is probably the second best team in the Pac-12. 
Um, I see Arizona State winning this one um, fairly easily. And the last one to close it out here, uh, Army plus 14 at Wisconsin. Bring it on. I mean, Wisconsin does stop the run fairly well. That's kind of the one thing they have done well. But I do just see this being an ugly, ugly football game. Um, Honestly, I don't know if – I think Wisconsin could still win the game, but I don't see them scoring enough points to cover a spread this big. So go Army. All right, 10 seconds each person real quick, just because this game is super ugly and we have to play them in a couple weeks. Miami plus 7.5 at UNC. Gut feeling, love, gut. love the over in that game as well. It's big. It's at like 61 and a half right now. I love the over. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback for Miami, he can throw the ball. He can ball. Um, they have enough weapons. I think that game could go over as well. All right. That about wraps Miami. it up, guys. Well, what was that? Oh, I just said I'll take Miami in that spread. I just right. think it's, it's two teams descending into oblivion, and it'll be a close game because of that. Love it. I love it. Well, that's that'll wrap it up for us. A bit longer tonight, but we had a whole lot to talk about. And I think we talked about Virginia Tech Pittsburgh a whole lot longer than we thought we were, but it was all a good conversation. Guys, thanks so much. It's been a blast. Go Hokies. Oh, no.